My guest today is someone I have known in politics and media for a very, very long time. It's my friend Jonathan Martin. Jonathan is Politico's politics bureau chief and their senior political columnist. He was previously at the New York Times, where he went uh, after a prior stint at Politico. So he has come back to the home base. I am looking forward to getting your take on where the political landscape of 2024 is and where this crazy train heads from here. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Jonathan, it is absolutely fantastic to have you on the show with us today. I want to hop right in. You had a story that was, you know, basically pointing out that a lot of the non-Trump folks out there in the, both the donor community and the political community, they've decided they're also going to take some swipes at Ron DeSantis. Yeah, well, the other candidates who aren't named Trump and DeSantis, mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to be, be precise about it, you know, they just... They can't resist the temptation to start swinging at the alternative instead of the, the, the main event, you know? You know, I, I I guess part of me, I can see the logic underneath that, that idea that, you know, you've yeah. got you've got this, this core of people around Trump who love him beyond all words and reason. But how long do you think they can do that? Because it, it a lot of them are not going to have the juice to go the distance here, are they? I mean, a lot of these people are not going to go out and it's not like, it's not like 15, 16, where there were there was a case you could make for a Jeb or a Ted or a Marco or any any of the rest. Yeah, we're going to see pretty quickly here what the appetite among donors and voters is for um, uh, alternatives not named DeSantis yep. here. You know, I mean, I, I like, I mean, I just feel like twenty three is as much about DeSantis as it is about about Trump in the sense that either he shows his stuff and he can throw a punch and he can take a punch within the context of a Republican uh, race. Uh, we know he can, he can punch left. We know he can punch at the media, but you know, what's his agility like within a Republican primary? You know, yeah. He beat uh, Adam Putnam, as you know very well in 2018, but that was largely because he was propelled sure. by Trump's endorsement. You know, I think the next six months will offer a really insightful test as to his, his uh, political dexterity, and if he can perform, that he's going to be the chief yeah. alternative. And we're probably looking at a two-man race, you know, starting Labor Day, uh, Halloween, going through the next calendar year. If he can't perform and he's got a glass jaw, this is going to be a much more messy primary. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I mean, my question to a lot of these major donor types has been, do you really are, are you really confident that this guy has the chops? I mean, Florida is actually a pretty easy place for a Republican incumbent governor to run. It, there, there's a big party here, a big system, a lot of money. There's no there's no Democratic Party to speak of. There's no real ability to punch back from the other side. And and I, I don't know how much you think that some of what DeSantis is experiencing right now has been this. Oh, I beat Charlie Crist by 19 points. I mean, my my opinion was why not more? 
I mean, do you think he's a little over right. overpriced right, right, right now? Right. Um, no. Look, I, I a lot of the donors and the the voters who are hearing the Florida story about his success last year obviously don't know just how anemic the Florida Democratic Party has become, and, and they they don't know all the details about uh, the nature of his opponent. Uh, uh, certainly, Rick, like you do, <laughs> um, but. Uh, it's a good, it's a good story. Look, it reminds me so much of 98-99, where mm-hmm. Bush wins mm-hmm. in Texas in an otherwise disappointing year. It was Clinton's second midterm. The party was supposed right. to do better. But hey, we've got this silver lining in the cloud in this fast-growing, diverse, mega state. And this guy can raise a lot of money fast, and he can unify the party Let's just go there. And I, I just, it feels so much like that, Rick, uh, of that 98, 99 Bush 43 moment where the, there's almost this will to make it happen um, mm-hmm. because it's just seen as the play to make. Now, look, there's big differences in the party between now and then. I mean, you're a great illustration of that yourself, <laughs> right? And so it's not like, it's not like there's a massive establishment out there in which like DeSantis can like, you know, turn on the John Engler, Frank Keating, um, you know, mafia and like start cooking, right? The party's different. The coalition's different. The path of the nomination's different. But the circumstances of this moment and the last four to five months feels a lot. Do, like do, do you get that sense, though, that there's a little bit of Groundhog Day going on here with some of the, the donor class? Like, because I, I look, I sat in any number of rooms with people in 15 and they said, Oh my God, we've got to stop Trump. We've got to stop Trump. Jeb's the only one. Ted, Ted's the only one. Yeah. Marco, we can all take him out. Yeah. I mean, look, see, see the point that Trump has definitely lost more than a step. But I, I, I wonder if yeah. you think that that the same kind of magical thinking that hit us in 2016, where the donor class woke up one morning and called Jeb on the phone and said, "Oh, hey, buddy, listen, you're young. You can do this again later. I got to help yeah. Trump." I sense that there's a a combination of desperation and delusion uh, in the donor world right now. Well, definitely the, the desperation <laughs> part. And I think the delusion part is TBD. And I, again, this is why I think like the first three debates and, and let's say the first one is what August in Milwaukee, yep, I guess yep. that the RNC is doing, you know, like, let's see. I mean, if DeSantis, if DeSantis shows up and this guy could perform, then I think, the, 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 the voters follow the donors, and that's that, and we got a head-to-head race. I think if he can't perform, it's going to be a different story. Look, I you know I, I wrote this last month, so I'm plagiarizing myself here a little bit. I think the biggest news so far of this early non-primary primary is just the lack of candidates. I mean, I can't recall an open-seat presidential primary with one senator running, right? You know... Uh... Like senators were born to run for president. I, I, I was told for many like, years the way to become a president was to be a U.S. senator. I heard that a time or two. Yeah, and like Tim Scott's the, and Tim Scott's the only mm-hmm. senator who's going to run in an open mm-hmm. seat race. And look, I raise that because I think a lot of these candidates or would be candidates are basically keeping their powder dry because they want to see, you know, not just how strong is Trump's hold, but is DeSantis the real deal? And if he is. They're not going to bother, and if he's not, you know, maybe you see a late, a late, a late entrant, right? Uh, the 
you know, Yunkin's a great illustration of this. He could, he could self-fund. I don't know about I mean, you. He can self-fund and come in late. I don't know about you. I thought he was going to run. And, like, everything I'm hearing is that uh, – That's what I'm uh, – that's what I'm, that No, changed? I'm hearing that, uh, the, the, you know, the coverage um, uh, from the last couple of weeks was, you know, Jeff Rose on the market, you know. It, it, he's not going to go. Right. And, and I think there is a bidding war right now for, you know, uh, for, you know, among those kind of people, among the Yunkin type of people – uh, there's, I think there's a bidding That's war of, right. of, you know, do I try to keep my team around me? Do I try to keep my powder dry? You know, is there a catastrophic right. moment? Because look, I mean, I think there's a, a possibility. You and I have both been around this long enough to know that the golden yeah. child in the beginning, President Rick Perry, President Jeb Bush, President yeah. Tim Pawlenty, yes. you know, on and on and on and yes. on and on, they rarely actually end up making the cut. And so... You know, I think a lot of those guys are incentivized. Like Christie's kept clearly kept enough of his guys around to, you know, uh, at least stay in the mix because he clearly wants it more than. Yes. He, doesn't he strike yes. you as like wanting it more than the rest of them right now? Like Christie. Yeah. Christie. Yeah. I mean, I if there's a way, if there's a path, I think he'll do it. I just think he's not going to do it if he doesn't right. think that there's a way. I just think like, so many of these guys are going to kick the tires, yeah. uh, spring and then summer, and then you know we'll we'll make a move if not. But you know, here we are, and you know by now maybe not everybody's declared, but you certainly know generally right. who's going to kind of make a move. And you know you mentioned Christie. I'll sure. add in Pompeo. I'll, I'll add mm-hmm. Sununu. Um, you know Yunkin. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty still. Uh, Tim Scott, we think, is going to go, but is that a, yeah. is that a sure thing? You know, and um, I think so much of that is just sort of curiosity about can DeSantis hold up. And the other thing, Rick, is 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 Trump is if you're Josh Hawley mm-hmm. or Ted Cruz or Tom Cotton, mm-hmm. you know, do you really want to deal with the Trump issue when, look, either way, in 28, he's going to be he's going to be right. off the board. They're so, going to try to do their best you know, to, to forget about. Donald, it'll be Donald who in 2028, because I think, yeah, wait, I, yeah, I, I think over, that's going to be right? the most crowded Republican field. And, I, and we all thought that, that 15, 16 was, you know, a cast of thousands. What, I mean, I think, I think you'd agree that uh, 2028 is going to have every Republican is going to crawl out of the woodwork. That's going to be a 50 person field at the beginning. It's going to be nuts. Yeah. I think. If, if that's an open seat race, I think it looks a lot more like 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, the 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 you know the eight hundred pound gorilla the thing that's always hovering out there is is Trump himself, and I know it, it's it's yeah. the, the the dream the wish the hope the fantasy of every you know establishment level Republican donor type that he just drops yeah. dead tomorrow that he just disappears that he says screw it I'm out. Two questions for you, right? How much do you think the in, uh, the pending or or hypothesized indictment of Trump is going to change the field? Uh, and I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you in advance, I don't think it changes it that much. Um, and and what do you think of the current sort of group that's ar- around him now? Because, you know, I see guys like Chris LaSavita, who's a much more serious person. Yeah. That's not the Brad Parscale, yeah. Corey Lewandowski crew. Right. I, I feel like he's right. actually also started to poke DeSantis on some things like in Iowa that that's as as weird weirdly Trumpian as the phrasing was. The strategy seemed a lot more considered than it than than not. It's not gotten a lot of attention, but he's also cutting mm-hmm. these videos 
which are aimed at giving him more to say on policy. And I think you put your finger on it that he's got people around him now, most most notably yep. Susie Wiles and Chris Lasavita, who have worked at the high, highest sure. levels of politics, who have worked for, for years uh, with the traditional yep. Republicans, and who recognize that, that Trump has got to make 24 about the voters and right. not him. And I think that's the tension that you see here is them trying to, whether it's cutting these videos or whether it's having him go right. talk, talking education in Iowa, which he's going to this week, it, at least in the scripted side, Rick, of Trump's messaging, they want him to make it about what the voters care about rather than what he cares about, which as we know is you know, his own bitterness over, over losing in 2020 and the lack of loyalty he perceives from other folks in the party toward him. That's going to be one of the great plots, subplots, mm-hmm. this calendar year is that tension between what really animates Trump and what his consultants know is what animates the voters sure. uh, in the primary. Sure. And we'll see it literally play out, as Joe literally. Biden would say, literally <laughs> play out, uh, not figuratively, literally play out in, in Trump's stump speech. Because, you know, how much does he stay on the prompter and do the attacks uh, on, you know, uh, uh, wokeism right. and trans edu- you know, trans kids and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And how much does he throw away the script and focus on um, Paul Ryan and Carl Rove are, are, are globalist <laughs> losers and Fox, Fox is now turned on me because of Paul Ryan uh, they stole it from me in 2020. I mean, we'll know, right, who's winning that fight just by watching sure. Trump's dumb speech in Iowa. 100%. I mean, and I think that, that that idea of Trump finally after after basically eight years in the public life where he, where he was able to, like, eat up all the scenery all the time, it strikes me as an interesting thing that he has shown more discipline and clearly is following, at least for now, uh, Chris now. and Susie and some of the other folks around him. Yes. In terms of these of these things, yes. you know, I, I have a question. I I think, and I think of this as like the most difficult answer out there. And I don't think they can skate away from this question. What do you think happens when, in the first big debates, the moderator goes across the stage of all the other Republicans and says, "Was Donald Trump legitimately elected in twenty twenty? Was the election stolen from Donald Trump in twenty twenty? Because I, I suspect that question will not only make Trump." Uh, the answer to that question will make Trump like very quickly go on the attack. But also, I suspect that the base now, and we've seen a lot of the public polling, they believe it was stolen. Yeah. And I'm curious what happens yeah. when you know a, a DeSantis or a Haley or whoever tries to like thread that needle. What do you think? What do you think that? I mean, because I I think that's the most well, important, like weird base donor or base elite separation question out there. Uh huh. Well, and so, like good politicians, th- their answer will be none of the above, right? They'll uh, they'll try to straddle it by attacking the moderator, attacking the press, and saying, "You guys in the corporate media are so fixated on relitigating 2020, and it's forever January 6th mm-hmm. for you guys, and you're missing the real story here, which is that Joe Biden is driving this country into the sea." Um, now. The question is, after they do that answer, they'll all do some variation of it, I'm sure. Although, you'll probably see a Pence or a Christie, if they're on stage, try to maybe get some news by saying, of course it wasn't stolen. Um, 
that I think that the scientists of the world will try and straddle it. The, the next question, Rick, then is, as you point out, what does Trump himself say? And does Trump then turn to DeSantis and say, Ron, I didn't right. hear an answer to right. that question. Why don't you answer the question directly? Give me a yes right? or no, Ron. That's where give me a yes or no. That's where it gets <laughs> that's where it gets spicy. And by the way, if Trump won't do it, you know who will. Oh, yes. Will say. Oh, yes. Right? And, you know, I, I just find it, I, I think that there are a lot of things that 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 the more I've studied the 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 base as it is now, and like the game that we're actually in, not the one that we thought we used to be in, um, the more yeah. I'm I, I wonder. Like, do any of these campaigns matter if the base takes it into their head as they did over January 6th? Like, they're going to ask questions like, yeah. are you going to pardon Donald Trump if you're president? Are you going to pardon the January yeah. 6th uh, folks if you're president? I, I just feel like there's a, a gigantic minefield none of them have really thought through yet. No, it's a really good point. And, and I think you'll see, you'll see basically three variations to the, to the answers to those sort of questions, right? You'll see a Sununu, Christie, Pence, if they're up there, doing some version of, of course I won't, January 6th, but it's a dark day in our history, and basically take the kind of pre-Trump, you know, uh, never Trump, uh, if you will, answer. Then I think you'll see the, the, the straddlers who try to avoid the dealing with it because you don't want to alienate the hardcore Trumpist, and that obviously is like the scientist and maybe Nikki. And then you'll obviously see the hardcore, which is, hell yes, I'll play it, which is, you know, the Donald yeah, himself, right? Yeah. As a listener to this podcast, you know democracy is in danger in America and beyond. This titanic challenge requires a powerful response, and that's why Resolute Square was founded. The Enemies List is part of the Resolute Square family. We're a pro-democracy network. The Enemies List is just one part of Resolute Square's pro-democracy content and coverage. Our members get particularly exciting benefits. Exclusive live roundtable discussions with me, Reed Galen, Stuart Stevens, and Joe Trippi. In those discussions, you can ask us questions directly, as if you are in the room at a campaign strategy session. In these sessions, we'll give folks answers on how to fight back against the crazy, how to push back against the MAGA media, and how to communicate effectively in the battle for our democracy. We're building a new arsenal for democracy, and we could use your support. Head over to ResoluteSquare.com slash enemies to let the world know where you stand. Um, so obviously the 16 presidential race is going it, to it, uh, consume a huge amount of attention. But this is a gigantic year for the Senate. This is a, you know, 24 seats yes. are in play. Yes. Um, yes. And, and yes. I'll, I'll, I'll break a little rumor news. I heard that Matt Gates is talking to people in Florida, like maybe I should primary Scott. Maybe I'm, I'm, I, I, it could be boring in the house. Maybe I should That's primary big. Rick Scott. I'm like, please, God, please do it. Be the greatest fucking campaign of all time. But what do you oh, see wow. as like, I, look, I, I think I already see Mastriano and Lake poking their noses in. Do you think that McConnell still has the juice and the patience and the money and the team to try to put down another disastrous recruiting year if you get Mastriano, Lake, et cetera, and that momentum for crazy builds up again, and we have, you know, Herschel Walker part two in a variety of places. Yeah. Um, first of all, you committed a Freudian slip there, Rick. You said, uh, uh, you said, you said 16 instead of 24 talking about the presidential race. Uh, so, um, uh, uh, checking you on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but on the Senate landscape, 
uh, on the Senate landscape. Um, look, you see McConnell and Danes, uh, Steve Danes, who's the NRSA chairman, right. the senator from Montana, uh, and who is uh, obviously much more congenial to Mitch McConnell than Rick Scott was. You already see him putting more than a thumb, like a whole hand oh, on yeah. the scale in a lot of these races. Uh, they are not going to sit back and uh, and sort of watch these primaries unfold. Um, uh, you know, they obviously don't want Matt Rosendale, who's the mm-hmm. hardliner in Montana, to run against Tester. They don't want uh, Mooney, uh, also a hardliner, not even from West Virginia, to run there against Manchin. Um, you know, they obviously right. want somebody not named Kerry Lake. Uh, or Blake Masters to run in Arizona. So you're already seeing this play out. Um, you know, do voters pay attention? Do voters listen? I mean, that, that to me is the challenge. And I'm so fascinated by the Arizona question because it's like oh, a multi-piece yeah. multi, uh, piece, um, uh, question. I mean, there's a really interesting sort of chessboard there because – I think Cinema's choice is going to be shaped in part by what the Republicans do. Look, if the Republicans mm-hmm. nominate a sort of normie center right candidate, then like Cinema doesn't have a path. Right. Um, if the Republicans nominate Masters or Lake, then like Cinema probably has a puncher's chance to win. You know. So I think that there's going to be enormous time and money spent this year mm-hmm. into trying to get. Uh, Republican Senate candidates who can win a general election. Um, I think like the the biggest problem in 2022 is Rick, you know, is that a lot of Republicans took all the wrong lessons from the Trump years, which is that you, you, you never have to leave a primary. You can live forever in a primary. Right. And, uh, and, yeah, and, and, you know, you, you know, then you have, run, we're, we're, yeah, the, and, and, so and the idea that, find, that fantasy that can they find candidates? Right. That fantasy that the base alone will take you take you home in in, in states that are still purple uh, is is madness. Exactly. It's madness, and yep. I think I think an awful lot of those people that that ran in twenty two, you know, I, I I look at Dave McCormick in particular. That's a guy who, on paper, yep. I mean, ten years ago that would have been there would have been popping corks in, in at the NRSC over that guy getting in the race, um, but. Yep. You know, now the crazy level is so high. And, and honestly, if it's Mastriano again and they don't and, and McConnell and his team don't take the guy off the board, they could lose Pennsylvania over that in the presidential. Yeah, and my understanding on McCormick is that he's just not gonna run if he has to deal with the primary again. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean Right. Uh, why is yeah, he gonna waste his time? He's got enough money he's humiliated. Right. He's got enough money and he doesn't need the the power or the money or the position or the ego to, um, you know, to go through that, to go through that torture a second time. Um, That's right. Exactly. So, and, you know, one more, one more like broad, broad question for you that, that now that we've covered the two, two of the three big areas that we obsess about. um, Sure. How do you see the house playing out? Not only, um, in, I mean, look, redistricting has sort of like made things uh, less exciting than they used to be. Um, but I, I wonder if you think there's an opportunity space here um, because of the divisions in the House and because there's this idea of, of, of the purity shit check all the time now on Kevin. Um, and, and these hearings that they're starting to do have not gone so far as well as they'd hoped. What do you think the sort of state of play is for the House in 24? And, and will Republicans try to correct back on that 
instead of thinking, oh, we're going to win by having, you know, Benghazi part two. Yeah. I mean, well, I think a lot of this is going to be shaped by the presidential sure. race. I mean, I've heard this privately. I'm sure you have too. Uh, you know, the recruitment is, whether it's the House or the Senate, but, you know, certainly the House, which is, you know, pretty darn tied to the top of the ticket. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be difficult to get yep. strong center right candidates in these purple seats, Rick, if. Trump's going to be on top of the ticket. It's just uh, it's you know, going to be hard mm-hmm. to find some uh, a lot of people who will who will do that. You know, um, if you don't think your guy is going to win at top of the ticket and your fate's largely tied to him, you know, is it is it worth running for eighteen months? Right? Yeah, it's it. No, I think that's exactly. I mean, and it, it just goes to show one more time that as much as everybody's trying to find a way out of it on both sides of the of the political aisle. Trump is still this weird center of gravity that drags everything into this and makes everything more complicated in, in the terms of what used oh to be gosh. a fairly straightforward and, you know, set of political calculus. Right. And uh, you and I have been talking about the Republicans. We haven't even talked about the Democratic Party yet. I mean, right. you know, Joe Biden enjoyed a force field around his renomination. In fact, his entire presidency vis-a-vis his own party Simply because of Donald Trump, right? I mean, Donald Trump has built a, a political moat yep. around Joe Biden, which no Democrat dares even trying to, to cross, uh, because to do that is to, you know, be seen as enabling Trump. So we have yep. to be for our guy, and anything that is a distraction from that and could be perceived as undercutting our guy helps the bad guy. It's just, it's not more complicated than that. Right? No, I, I, Jonathan, I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly on point. I mean, because right now with the only person who's actually made a move is Marianne Williamson. I think we're done here when it comes to a right. Democratic primary. It's incredible. I mean, Joe Biden's going to be 82 years old if he takes the oath mm-hmm. a second time. And there's not a single member of Congress or governor who, who is going to, who's going to challenge him because if they were to do that and, and Biden was to lose to Trump, that would be curtains for their careers. I mean, we're on year six of oh, yeah. Democrats oh, yeah. living off of Donald Trump. And um, it works pretty darn well for, for, for Joe Biden because the Biden bet is no Democrat's going to touch me as long as Trump poses a threat, which, like, check, he's right about. And, like, then B... Either Trump is the nominee in the general against me, or he torpedoes whoever is their nominee. Oh, so, yeah. like, I've got a good shot. To oh, I definitely um, think if you end up with Donald it's Trump, it's just remarkable how tied up the Democratic yeah. oh, for sure. is with Trump, Rick. For sure, I, I do think it. Also, I mean, this is this has got to be the like the the most terrifying scenario for Ron DeSantis is he wins the primary and Donald Trump sits back and either complains a lot on. Truth or Twitter or wherever he ends up, it says all day long, I was cheated. It's a lie. He's the he's a stooge. He's the establishment. Um, or or he goes out in the few states without third party uh, sore loser laws and jumps on the ballot in a couple places. Yes. Or in the states with a sore loser law, Don Jr. runs or a favorite son in those states. It was a MAGA runs, and you know it makes the world it makes the world. Uh, unpredictable and really loud and really ugly for the rest of the, for the rest of the cycle. A hundred percent. That is precisely whether it's the scientists or anybody else not named Trump. If they get the nomination, then you know the idea of 
Trump raising raising arms at the unity breakfast the next day uh, <laughs> is just fantastic, right? It's just never right. going to happen. And, right. That's, that's, that's... Um, you, you know, you're going to have to you're going to have to placate him somewhat, somehow, some way. And even if he doesn't run third party, you know, at a minimum, a whole whole be uh, whole be you know uh, a critic and will be popping his head up to you know. So, yep, he's going to he's going to be out sniping from the from the from the bleachers. So, well, Jonathan, listen, man, I, I am so grateful that you came on today. It was a great conversation. Um, yeah, look forward to having you back again as things heat up uh, in, the, in the course of the cycle. Uh, thank you so, so much. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Rick. And I'm excited that we're going to have at least one campaign for president uh, based on the panhandle of Florida. <laughs> if you count Tallahassee as the panhandle, I know that's a matter of great distinction for you Floridians. Listen, I, I, I happen to, because I, I live so close to Georgia, you could throw a rock from my house to the border, but it's it's an argument. <laughs> oh, I know. Right, oh, man. Thanks, Rick. All right, well, thanks so much, brother. I appreciate you. Talk soon. Today's entry on the enemies list are Republican MAGA banking experts. Now, you're asking, what the fuck, Rick? Here's the deal. When Silicon Valley Bank collapsed over the weekend, the flood of MAGA banking experts who suddenly um, decided that they knew all about regulatory policy and banking policy declared that the sole cause of Silicon Valley Bank collapsing was wokeness. That DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at the bank, were the cause of the collapse. You know, guys, try a little harder. That's the laziest, most unbelievably fuck-witted, bad display of Occam's razor I've ever seen. It's the inverse of Occam's razor. There are a lot of ways banks collapse. There are a lot of ways banks in Silicon Valley that have a lot of money in in crypto collapse. There are a lot of ways that it collapsed that by the record we're seeing of people like Peter Thiel pulling their money out, seemingly with foreknowledge, I don't know. But these people that suddenly declare that they're the experts on banking and that, that wokeness is the cause, this is like the Middle Ages where everything was caused by witches. It's not all wokeness, guys. And in this case, it certainly isn't. Get your shit together. You're on the enemies list. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at TheRickWilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list. <laughs>